It's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. My guest is Baristine Mokwini. He is an entrepreneur, engineer, freelance writer, and the author of the historical romance fiction novel that takes place during the transatlantic slave trade. Can you tell yeah. me what inspired you to write a historical romance fiction novel? I've always been a history buff, always interested in history ever since I was a child. So I've always been peculiarly interested in the transatlantic slave trade because it's such a dark period of our human collective timeline, but still there are very few works that dwell deep into this time period of history. And sometimes I wonder why very few from our modern day era. So I took it upon myself to be one of those writers that would dwell into this delicate topic which I have done with Tales of Judofo, trying to demystify the Protestantist state trade, to make it in a way more relatable to audience from our modern day era especially to young adults like my own age who may be interested in the transatlantic slave trade history and our African culture and society before the advent of the Europeans and their way of life came to influence us. Tell me about the romance in the novel. The love story of Mary Jane comes from France. She's schooling in Jamaica. Only her to her mother's empire. Father is in many ways, this romance story was fleshed out from Titanic. Readers will come to draw from Jidofor and retain to rule. Just as it was, Rose is from the higher class, Jack, Mary Jane, many ways, way ahead of her time, way advanced that culture was brought up. Mary Jane was of a different mentality, different disposition. Jidofor, on the other hand, Slave, so he was an assistant to the foreman. He was quite skilled. Mary Jane catch Dufour rigging. Back in the days, during the transatlantic slave trade, it was forbidden for slaves to learn how to take. So any book in your possession must have been stolen. So to go through the risk and the effort of not just learning how to read, but making the time free to update yourself new knowledge, really endeared. Mary Jane, they will see her as well. Their love story is one through the ages. Because of Judah 4, it's a story of reincarnation. So it wasn't exactly as if this was the first time she was meeting Judah 4. This was the first time she was meeting him in this lifetime. But as readers see in the story, Mary Jane had met him in his previous lifetimes as well. What makes your work unique? In many ways, Tales of Judofo is unique because I've never actually read the modern-day work that dwells so deeply into the transatlantic slave trade history. Even the few works that are available out there often do the storytelling from the European perspective. So I've always wanted to showcase an African point of view of the transatlantic slave trade history. So as readers will come to see, because the, the, the entire work is divided into eight parts, Part one is titled Africa, My Africa. 
So Africa, my Africa begins with Jidofo's life in Milan, what is today modern day Nigeria in West Africa. So the story doesn't just jet off from the European perspective, dwells so deeply into our African way of life before Europeans. In the community of Ila, people were so far away from the coast that they had no idea that there was a booming trade for slaves ongoing that had been ongoing for probably 200 years. So readers will come to find, should I say, almost like it give, give them like an asset, a window into our African life, our African society before that is truly pristine, truly free of the influence of the Europeans from their culture that has come to influence us today. The readers would come to meet Africa as it was before the Europeans came here in any form, their language, their food, their implements, and all of that. And most importantly, spirituality. Mm-hmm. Tales of Jidoko is keenly a story of African spirituality. Writing the book from an African perspective is really important. Many of these books are written from a Eurocentric perspective, yeah. and sometimes True. they base their information from stereotypes. So, what methods did you use to research and gather information for your novel? In many ways, it's a story of my own history, the history of my hometown of Ila. The protagonist of the story, Jidofo, is from Ila. It's exactly where I'm from in modern-day Nigeria. In fact, the character's name, Jidofo, is the name of my elder brother, my elder sibling. So in many ways, Tales of Jidofo is a story of my own life, my own past, my own history. That, for the research, I had to go home to my people, not just to learn about the culture of my community, but basically imbibe our way of life. So imbibe that essence of culture that is still, in many ways, original. Because Ila, in modern-day Nigeria, is still a little bit less than 10,000 persons. So it is still caught up in many ways original from the European influence compared to big cities like Lagos. Ila is still kept in some ways in its pristine African state. So I had to go home to learn about my own culture and buy many lessons from society. Apart from that, thank God for the internet today, there's basically free information available. So I had to go up deep into the transatlantic state trade history. And for that, I had to read a lot of books, a lot of references. For It was more or less business. There was no emotion atta- attached. The slaves were basically cargo. They were rarely ever called slaves back in the day and time. They were called cargo. This was exactly how both the African sellers and the European buyers saw the people whom they sell. They were basically cargo. It was nothing unjust, it was simply business, a bare trade, basically. So reading all of that and gaining all of these new insights into this dark period of history, mm-hmm. we have this false belief, those of us still on the continent, that the Europeans have come here, raided our communities and took slaves. This may have been true in the 15th century when the Portuguese and the Spanish had begun the slave trade. But by the 18th century, in the 1700s, this wasn't the case. By then, it was a global business. It was the biggest business on the planet. Africans, we are on the upstream sector of the trade, 
they're responsible for sourcing and collecting the slaves, sending to them in the slave factories, which aka slave houses. And oftentimes slaves would remain in slave houses for months, sometimes years, before they would be sold off to Europeans. And another new insight, although it wasn't exactly new for me, but I know it would be new for a number of my readers, is to come to understand that slavery was well practiced in Africa before the transatlantic slave trade had begun, although not in the form of chattel slavery the way it was practiced in the New World, especially in the Caribbean. But slavery in its many forms was the order of the day on the African continent. number of African societies kept slaves. It was the order of the kings usually had hundreds, sometimes thousands of slaves to their name, whom they were free to sell off, sometimes kill, basically for any purpose they want. It was almost the same understanding we understand of slavery in the New World, where another human being owns and dictates the state of that person, whom is regarded as their slave. So it wasn't exactly as if slavery was new in Africa. It was part and parcel of our society. But the Europeans have come here to meet and over the years turned it into a global enterprise that grew so huge that it became the biggest business in the 18th century. But eventually by the 19th century, trade had died down and the business had quelled. But even then, surprising, I know it may be quite new for some people to learn, is that when the Europeans, let's say groups like the Quakers from North America were trying to end the trade, a number of African kings and royalty they actually were working against the end of trade. They wanted the trade to continue. For my research, I had read letters from kings from Congo, from what is today modern-day Nigeria and Cameroon, directed to the British king, to the British House of Lords and all of that, asking the trade to continue, that it doesn't just profit them, the African royalty, but it profits the Europeans as well. So it shouldn't be a business that should just die down to be a trade that should continue. So I know it's may, it may be surprising for a number of persons to learn that Africans didn't actually want the trade to end. They wanted, they wanted it to continue because it was profitable to the people who were involved. It was simply business to them and they wanted it. All of this is quite new for some persons. But... It will be new for a lot of people. It's, it's new for me <laughs> to hear it from this perspective, the things I did yeah. not know. And listening to you actually gave me chills because it is so out of the realm of what we here in America, or at least what I viewed as being the normal way of the slave trade. As a historical romance fiction novel writer, are there authors or books that have influenced your writing? The books I'd read, that was, that is a critical reading for me, for the development of Tales of the Doctor was allowed that Equinox autobiography of his life as a former slave in the 18th century. So just perfect because this book is based in the 18th century, which is exactly where I had chosen to base the timeline for Tales of the Doctor as well. So his book had given me a window into the life and times of the transatlantic slave trade during this period of the 18th century, where it was the peeps of the trade. 
So I'd read a lot of that Equinos book, not just for window into his own personal life, but a general view into that time period in history of the transatlantic slave trade. I also had to read Chino Achebe's bestseller, Things Fall Apart. In many ways, I was gunning for what exactly Achebe was gunning for. I was trying to paint a picture of our African society, our African life and culture before the advent of the Europeans and their way of life came to influence us here on the continent, which is what I, I believe I've beautifully done in Tales of the Duffel. These were the two critical readings for me. I had to digest this. I had to understand the motivations behind the writing and also understood the standpoint of both authors. Another Equinos book, I believe, is the first book authored by an Igbo person. It was published in, and Chino Achebe's book was published in 1959. We'll be right back. We are back. Everyone, Barristine Mokwini. After the fright and the commotion that ensued, the Duffer slumped at the past, the teasing continued. The sweaty body fed that, having slumped onto the dry ground. He started on his feet to resume his reading with his cousins, but his father soon stopped. He was instructed to catch his breath and rest in the shade by the old family. He grudgingly took his hoe and farmers had back to the tree to catch a little snow. He soon fell asleep and returned to the land of dreams from whence he was roused hours before. This time around, his dream was quite different, but just as strange as the previous one. He was no longer in the middle of the jungle, but in the nexus of a sprawling metropolis, much bigger than the nine sister communities of Ila put together. It looked like he was in a thriving marketplace. The place was humongous, with gigantic buildings, gates, and monuments. There was no place that he had been that he could compare it to. He had heard tales of the great city of Edo in stories of merchants who had come from the West. But even such descriptions felt minimal in comparison. The atmosphere was hot and dry, the sun high in the sky. It looked as if the dry season had been ongoing for years on end. He soon realized he was dressed in white linen with hard leather sandals bound to his feet. He had never seen anything exactly like this. Talk more of putting them on. He had heard of this square white linen and leather sandals that the princes and emissaries from Great Edo put on, again, from the tales of merchants who visit Ukumege Market Square. His cousin, Wadiyalo, had once come back from Adyaji Market to need to sample of this strange textile. In a distant corner just far outside, he saw a spectacle, 
a little crowd building up around an open air canopy shade. Underneath canopy were women, preteen boys and girls bound together in a continuous chain of rope. They looked like what he would imagine ghosts to be, very pale and skinny. They were ridiculously light-skinned, much lighter than he was. They were dressed in an attire that seemed made from him. Just in front of the shade, a merchant of dark ebony skin bargaining for the women and children. He drew closer and realized the buyer spoke a funny tongue he had never heard before, not even from the most troubled merchant he had ever come across. Lining their eyelids with a dark paint that reminded him of what the beautiful maiden wore during their dance performances in their coming-of-age ceremony. Many wore gold jewelry that shone brilliantly in the sunlight, contrasting their brown skin. Fairstein, what challenges did you face during the writing process? And what steps did you take to overcome them? For one, getting right information was very difficult. But thankfully, I've had the blueprint for Tales of the Doctor for many years in my mind, since 2017, before I actually started fleshing out the story in 2020. Before then, I entered Tales of the Doctor as a short story in 2019 for Google Africa writing competition back then. The story, the short story version, was one of the eight finalists for the event out of over 2,000 entries. So from that, I got to realize that a number of persons were truly interested in this history of the transatlantic state trade. So that gave me motivation for the storytelling. But quite all right, there were challenges, but I got to overcome them just basically taking our stories from my own life. Just like I said, Name of the protagonist, the name of my elder brother, the names readers would meet in the story, Ifoma, Chijoke, and all of them are actually names of people from my own life. Jidofo is my elder brother, Ifoma is my elder sister, Chijoke is my younger. That's people who come to me are people from my own life, and their characteristics and peculiarities are just exactly as, as in real life that I like to call tales of Jidofo fictional history which it is, but it is true history, but disguised as fiction in many ways. The theme and the plot outline for Tales of the Doctor had come to me in my sleep from a dream I had in 2017. As readers would come to see the story as well, the Doctor was in the jungle, being led, physically trapped and being dragged along. This was a personal dream of mine and had felt as if it was a visit into some world, into some past life. The Tales of Judofo is also a story of reincarnation because in our African belief, the concept of the afterlife is that of reincarnation. The general idea is that we are all sent to reality with some mission, some purpose. And if that mission is not fulfilled, continue to come back here, then it is free. Almost like it is in a school class course, you keep taking it over and over again until you pass. <laughs> that is the understanding of our African concept of the afterlife, which is very well dressed, very well elaborated in Tales of Jidofo. So with your book, you stated that it came to you in a dream. Am yes, I correct? Yes. So how did you structure and organize your dream? Is chapters, different sections? based on different years or 
yeah, yeah. But story in some ways divided into two sections. Judah was life in Africa, and Judah was life Caribbean provided like a blueprint, like a structure for me already made. So I just knew I had to flesh out Duffer's life in Africa, Duffer's life in the Caribbean as well. And I, from my research, I've come to understand how exactly it was slaves taken from the hinterland, how they got to the coast 300 years ago. So I'm writing historical fiction. I knew exactly how the storyline would follow. It would be stolen. Duffer would drag along the coast would spend many months, as much as four months, on the slave ship in the Middle Passage, being taken to the New World. And in the New World, we made the work plantation. And from all of this outline, from all of this book of the story, which I did, drawing from my own personal life, where I chose the car comes from Ila, exactly where I'm from, because I'm very much familiar with the history of my hometown, which I could easily include in the storytelling. So just like I said, even though those of the dog is historical fiction, it's actually true history. These guys, that's fiction. <laughs> Ferristine, read another excerpt from Tales of Judea. Ferristine. A few days after the present end of the scourge on the sheep, Captain ordered for the regular dance exercise of the slave in an attempt to lead the sullen spirit of the captain. Jidolfo's true was ushered above death to another from many slaves. Like the children, the women slaves were unshackled from one another in their dance to give them greater room to go around and exercise more properly. Jidolfo's true had just cleared the platform to give way for the women folk when the most surprising event happened. As their troops were untied, the first few women stripped themselves of their hem skirts and were completely stark naked. It was, of course, amusing at first to the sex starved sailors who sought out every opportunity to molest the women slaves. Not until these unshackled women held hands together and started in unison into a recitation, there's by collective. They spoke Igbo that reminded Jodolfo of the dialect spoken at Ila. In their very short recitation, they laid courses on the ship, their pale skin capped off, the slavers that had dragged them to the coast. And on the generations yet unborn of the nobles and chieftains that are frustrated and benefited from this trade. As they did this, they laid their hands on the belly of the woman, as if enacting their courses into reality. She, the unborn child, they then ran widely for the deck railing and jumped to the to the petrifying shock of everyone present. This so chilling event marked the end of their regular dance exercises for the rest of their voyage. Onto their slave ship, fought at Kingston, Jamaica. As we were marshaled below deck after that event, Jidopo could not help but wonder what string of thought would have convinced the pregnant woman to end her life and that of her unborn child in such a painful and slow manner as drowned. In Ila culture, an unborn child is sacred, along with its mother during her state of pregnancy. No harm should be brought to them on purpose or even by mistake. To do so required the key of the unborn child to be appeased than not to soil the land. Exactly as was done when Jidoko's mother was tumbled and had Jajima's quick parade when she had been pregnant. Writing a novel like this, where there would be so much emotion involved, how did you take care of yourself? How did you maintain your own sanity as you look back at history? <laughs> For one, just like I said, I've always been a history buff. 
Mm-hmm. So getting into the integrity of history has always been personal for me. Of course, history can't be all jolly. No. In fact, most of history is actually based on war. Most of the recordings of human activity is actually of the bad times, it's actually of war, of famine and all of that. We rarely ever record the good times. And I wonder why. It wasn't exactly new for me. Exactly what I was getting. But nonetheless, it was still emotional for me getting to learn certain things. For example, during the Middle Passage, I had no idea how, if not for the research I had to do for Tales of the Duffer, I had no idea exactly how it was for the slaves. Anytime slaves were brought a bull to deck, a number of them would choose to jump the railing and drown, kill themselves by drowning. Very horrible. Die by. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with the amazing Faristine Mokwinye. Faristine, read another excerpt. The tales that you deal His dreams that night were particularly weird. He did not wake up with only the memory of his chief jungle that he had in prison. He had been somewhere else and had heard the strangest sound that eventually led to his view. His view of the lake that marked the end of the land of the ocean, but I have never been outside the lands of the I dream of a place I have never been. Why would I? Therefore, wonder thing. He had always pondered, like most of the age, how one could dream of an event that had never taken place, or dream of a place one had never been. Everyone had had the awkward falling from creek or any high place. It seemed very realistic. One wakes up and found that. Yet few bothered to wonder how they could dream of falling from the high when they had never fallen from such a height. He had been blessed since he could remember with clear gift of his dreams that night were particularly weird. Not with up only more of his chain as he had in previous He had been somewhere else and had heard the strangest sound that eventually led to the view he had ever seen in life. His view could only have been that of what he had heard merchants who had been to the southern land described. That of the lake that marked of the ocean, but I have never been outside the lands of the land. How could I dream of a place I have never been? Why would I, unlike most folks age, how one could dream of an event that had never taken dream of a place one had never been? The stage of one's dream was proof that one was meant to remember one's activity, that one was a well. As a result of writing this novel, what do you think you learned about yourself? Writing really an impressive many ways open up your mind and of course just as I had said a number of the plot outline theme for Tales of Judah had come to me in my sleep my dream so open like a floodgate a window into my own subconscious mind truly got to see many ways my shadow self 
because they are quote unquote air quotes villains stories. So this villains as well, an aspect of my own self. It was quite eye-opening for me that this is, though not exactly me, my current form, but this is an aspect of my subconscious mind. Really new ground. But to grow, as I come to understand, to grow, we must accept ourselves for who we are, both the light and dark. So writing the story really into my own mind. My own. Your novel, when it reaches the masses, based on your experience, do you have any advice for aspiring historical romance fiction writers that you would like to share? Well, for one, writing history almost provides the blueprint for your story. Who they say you're writing about World War II? Can't make it out. Germans can't twist history around. That's the point I'm driving up. Even though it is fiction, since you have chosen to write about history, there has to be elements of truth storytelling. Even though it's fiction, you can't just make up anything you want because you are writing about history, even though it's fiction. So you have to love, you have to truly digest all of this surrounding the period you have chosen to write about. Someone like me writing about the faith. It was quite dark, even though certain aspects of my research had brought certain sentiments to me. I had to imbibe all of that because I knew what I was getting. It wasn't exactly written, but, but all of that, even though it's fiction, it must be painted exactly how it has occurred. But as a result of writing this novel, what do you think you learned about yourself? Writing, many ways, to open that a floodgate, a window into my own subconscious mind. Truly, got to see. Many ways, my shadow self, some aspects of my own personality as well. But I'm the one fleshing it out. Yeah, quote unquote, air quotes, villains, stories, including the heroes. Yeah, all aspects of I'm writing about telling them out story. Coming to meet some of these villains, it was quite eye opening for me that this is, though not exactly me, my current form, but an aspect of my personality. This is an aspect of my subconscious mind. Really new ground. But to grow, as I come to understand, to grow, we must accept ourselves for who we are, both the light and dark. Finish writing the book. How did you celebrate your accomplishment? Luckily for me, when on the very day Tales of Judoko was published by Tamari Hill Press, okay, I believe that was July 29th last year. My whole family was gathered home for where we stay. We had all come from my elder sister's marriage. So it was already a time of festival. But I can, I can remember that day peculiarly well because of memory for me. So I remember we went out, got some drink, got some barbecue. Catfish. I'm not sure you cooked that over there in the U.S. <laughs> Some barbecue catfish. <laughs> Celebrate sweet. 
really had a nice time because, of course, this is my debut novel. I'm this guy, the first person in my extended family who has published a book that is not just published, but published by the assignment. We've reached the end. What are you most excited about? What well, are you looking forward to? For one, Tales of Jidofo is part of the trilogy. So Tales of Jidofo is just the first book in the series. The second book, Once Upon a Lifetime, already in production. I'm already preparing the manuscript for that. The audio book for Tales of Jidofo as well is also it's almost done. Well, done with the reading, just the editing stage mm-hmm. that is left. That will be released next month, November. There's so much to come. And I'm so glad that I'm part of all of this process. It's almost like a dream come true all right, for me. Fantastic. Ferristing, I'd like to thank you for being my guest. Your work is epic. It's a story that needs to be told. Whether fiction, nonfiction, people need to talk about what happened. People need to continue to talk about what happened during that time period from different perspectives. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. And I wish you nothing but the best. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at QLPOR.com